Point Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information, stalk us on Facebook at The Point Online or visit our website at thepointchurch.net. Now here's our message from God's Word. I came to you like I am today on video. Lisa's mom had died and we traveled to California for the funeral. And so we filmed the message ahead of time for you. And when I watched the message from California, as you watched here on Sunday, I was stunned by something. A message that would have taken me 30 minutes to teach on the stage took only 23 on video. Somehow you received 30 minutes of Bible teaching in 23 minutes. I guess I talk faster on video, a lot faster, and you like that. So the other day I was thinking, you know, I need six, seven minutes to talk to the church this week about some important things facing us this year, but I don't want to cut the sermon down to do it. And then it dawned on me. I'm not out of town. I'm right here with you. But if I gave the message on video again, I could deliver a 30-minute message in 23 minutes and gain that seven minutes to talk to you live. And so that's why you're seeing me on video today and here in the building with you. When the message is done today, I want to share some important details about our future. So let's get going on this message. You know, you might need magnifying glasses because today's parables are small ones. In three verses, we have two of the shortest stories Jesus ever told. In Matthew 13, verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. Again, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. These two parables Talk about things that aren't too hard to understand, yet there's actually quite a whole story in them. Today, we're going to dive deep into these parables. But before I do, let me say that Jesus isn't telling these stories as case studies on how to conduct business. This is not a business ethics story. No, in these three stories, Jesus shows us three principles that we can use to find spiritual treasure. The first of which is in verse 44. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Sounds like an unlikely story, but I'm telling you, it wasn't back then. Here's why. You didn't have a bank back then. So without a bank, what did you do with your money? Well, you hid it, usually in your home. But what would you do if you knew there was an army coming or looters coming? Well, if you know anything about history, this happened all the time. Whenever there was a marauding army coming, another group who was coming to take over, you know, Palestine was one of the most fought over parts of the whole world. What would you do then? Well, you didn't hide it in your home. You buried it and you hoped you survived the raid or the battle. And very often you didn't. As a result, it wasn't all that uncommon to find buried treasure and to realize that whoever buried it is obviously gone for sure. They're dead. They're gone. It's been forgotten and no one knows where the treasure is. So it just sits there waiting to be discovered. 
It still happens sometimes in our world. I know it happened in mine. I remember when my dad, he had a brain aneurysm back in 2008. The neurosurgeon said it's going to take his life. And although he didn't tell my dad that, my dad's kind of a people person. He could kind of sense that everybody's being kind of nice to him. And his days here on earth were numbered, maybe in just mere minutes. And so taking advantage of his lucidity, he shooed the nurses out of the room. And he called my mom and, and I over to his bedside. And, and when we gathered there, he said, Ray, Judy, two things. First, behind the seat in my truck, there's a Walmart bag with stuff I bought that I don't want. Take it back. The receipts are in there. Uh -huh, I'm thinking, this is my dad's deathbed speech? A Walmart return? Are you kidding? But that was just his trial balloon because then he delivered the real speech. He said, you know, um, I have a safety deposit box filled with some cash at the bank. And when he told us how much cash was in the box, I looked over at the expression on my mom's face and I said, hey, dad, if you don't make it, it's good to know. But if you do, you got some explaining to do when you get home. He had hidden treasure. None of us knew about it. Then he fully recovered and he had to give up his stash. We had no idea my dad had a secret stash, but you know, buried treasure, secret stashes, they're far more common in Jesus's day. And because of people having buried treasures in all kinds of places, the Jews established a law that basically said, finders keepers. So this guy that finds the treasure in Jesus's story, he goes out into town to buy the field. Can you just imagine, you know, these are small towns. Everybody knows your business. And I'm sure this guy's land purchase was like small town news. You know, people whispering, hey, did you see Joe's garage sale last week? You know, sold everything, even the garage. And that idiot, I mean, wasted all that money on that beat up lot on the edge of town. You know, the one where people tried to garden on, but there were just too many rocks in it. Joe is nuts. But Joe is not nuts. Joe's smiling because he knows what everybody else doesn't. And that is beneath that ordinary looking rocky soil, there is incredible value. Now here is the principle. The Bible tells us over and over that Jesus always hides spiritual treasure in ordinary places which means you're never going to find it if you think it's going to be in some extraordinary spot. It's not. This is the first principle that Jesus communicates through this pair of parables. I must look for spiritual treasure in ordinary places. You know, I used to collect baseball cards. One day I saw an ad that said, big box of baseball cards, $100. I called the number, talked to the lady who said her son moved out and, and left him in her house. And he, he and she was tired of uh, calling him over and over to get him. And, and so he, uh, he just told her, just sell him, mom, sell him. I, I mean, I can't imagine treating my mom like that. But after she described the size of the box, well, I thought, well, there might be some value in buying them. So when I got to his mom's house, she pushes this box the size of an office printer toward me with her foot. So I bent down to open it and she said, oh no, I'm not going to have you going through those cards in my house. You want them? You take them. It's a hundred bucks. So I gave her a Benjamin, put the box in my car. And when I got home, it was like a pearl merchant. Man, I was sorting through pearls, 10 cent card here, nickel card there. I was adding them up in my head as I was sorting through them. But near the bottom of the box, I found a Pete Rose rookie card and it alone was worth $750. In a box full of 10 cent cards, there was one worth seven and a half times the price I paid. It shouldn't have been in there. It was unexpected. And that's Jesus's story. Treasure is never where you think it is. It's always in hidden and unexpected places. See, you and I, we're accustomed to always look on the surface of things. We look at the external, the superficials. 
I mean, if you're good looking, you got polish, you got nice clothes, nice car, you know, good connections. That's how people assess value on the basis of what they can see. But Jesus, he rejects that premise. He says, if you're going to find my spiritual treasures, you're going to have to look in ordinary places. And the scripture gives us three clues on those ordinary places that we should look. Our first clue is in 1 Corinthians. He says, remember where you were, my friends, when God called you from the human point of view? Few of you were wise or powerful or of high social standing. God purposely chose what the world considers nonsense. Friends, this means that God has a tendency to choose people and to work with people who really, on the surface anyway, don't look like they're, they're anything special. Maybe they sing out of tune, wear outdated fashions, have double chins or dry beat up cars. On the surface, it looks like they're nobodies. But Jesus says his kingdom is buried right among them, which means you don't find Jesus where you think you might find him. You find him amidst everyday people like you and me. Clue number one, spiritual treasure is found in ordinary people. Now, another clue to the spot where Jesus buries treasure is in 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction, but for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. It's clue two. Spiritual treasure is found in an ordinary message. For example, well, one reason people are laughing at old Joe's garage sale and his crazy lot purchase is that nobody thinks treasure's that accessible. I mean, nobody thinks that the old lot they drive by every day on the way to work has like a billion dollars in treasures underneath it. We don't think like that. We think buried treasure is up on the mountain somewhere, right? We never think we're driving right past it. And this is true of the gospel. The story of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, you hear that and you think, that's it? That, that's the secret to life? That's the key to the universe? I mean, give me a break. Take me to some mountain in Nepal and introduce me to some guru who reveals the nine levels of spiritual consciousness that I must hum and memorize and strive for in order to advance a level or two to God. That's how people think. It can't be the ordinary message taught by a church across the street from me. Listen, if you're here today and you're not sure whether you're a Christian or not, one of the things you'll have to get over is not just the ordinariness of the people who follow Jesus, but also the simplicity and the ordinariness of the message. Jesus died for you. If you believe in him, God will accept you and forgive you. It sounds ordinary, but it's the greatest treasure ever. Now, our third clue is embedded in Isaiah 53. It says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Clue number three is that spiritual treasure is found in an ordinary Savior. You say, well, Jesus wasn't ordinary. Well, you kind of say that because you've never seen him. You know, the scriptures say Jesus was not strikingly handsome. He was ordinary looking. He was born poor. When his parents brought him to the temple, they gave an offering of two pigeons. Only the poorest people gave that offering. He was born poor and died poor. You see, we all search for meaning in life. We search for God, but spiritual treasure is never where you think it is. It's not in a set of rules or religion or some warm, toasty feeling. You'll find it unexpectedly when God reveals it to you. And one of the major principles in this pair of parables is to not judge it by where it's hidden. For God is found in ordinary places, ordinary people, in ordinary messages, and an ordinary Savior. 
And this is not what we expect. We conjure up in our mind that we need some kind of angelic visit, some kind of special moment. But listen, friends, you are far more likely to find spiritual treasure over coffee with a friend than in some exotic trip to a mountain peak. Pay attention to the ordinary, for that's where you'll find it. Here's the second principle in finding spiritual treasure, and it's also evident in both stories. In verse 44, it says, When a man found that treasure, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Verse 46, When the pearl merchant found a pearl of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. Here's the principle. Principle two, I must realize that spiritual treasure will cost me everything. To get the deal of a lifetime, there's no safe way to get it. There's no trying things out. There's no incremental. It's what there is is all or nothing. You got to risk everything. You lose everything. These people in Jesus's parables, they sell everything. They liquidate their stuff. They sell their Xbox, their iPhone, their season tickets to the Colts, their Tesla, their Taurus, everything. And they don't care. They do it willingly because they know they're getting the deal of a lifetime. And this is true for you and me. We have a lot of precious things in our lives, a lot of things that mean something to us, some things that we look at and say, well, you know, I've had this since I was a kid. My, my grandpa, my grandma, my mom, my dad, they gave it to me. And we see in Jesus's parables that the great pearl, the treasure in the field, it cost the finders everything. The men who found the treasure had to go home, take pictures, put everything they owned on Craigslist or eBay or out on the driveway for a garage sale. They sell it and sell it fast. They didn't wait for the right time. They didn't try to maximize sales. They just liquidated it like an auctioneer would rattle off your stuff at a bankruptcy. This was a fire sale. This was a going out of business clearance and everything must go. They dumped their stocks at whatever price they could get. What's Jesus teaching here? What it means is that you look into your life and you say nothing is more important than Jesus. Nothing. If it's a choice between this and Jesus or that and Jesus, I'll suffer the loss to keep Jesus. Now, before you're willing to say, well, yeah, sure, I believe that. Just realize if you're afraid to publicly let people know you're a Christian, to get baptized, to identify yourself as a follower of Christ, I'm not talking about it being some idiot or a bore at the office, but I'm saying that if your public image is more important to you than Jesus, then you're really not willing to give that up, to liquidate it. The same thing's true about your money or your sexuality. If you say, well, I'm willing to follow Jesus, but you know, I have to do this with my money or that with my sexuality, forget it. Then what you're saying is you're not willing to give up those things. If you say, well, I tried to be a Christian, but this or that bad thing happened, so I quit Jesus, then what you mean is that there's something more important than Jesus. That bad thing that happened to you, that loss, that problem was just more valuable than your faith in Christ. Listen, in these two parables, what Jesus is telling us is that the only way to get the greatest treasure ever, a relationship with God, is to say, there's nothing I won't sell to get it and keep Jesus. You gotta be willing to sell it all. There can be no conditions. Both men, they find something unexpectedly. Then they sell everything. And this leads us to the final principle from this pair of parables. In verse 44, it says, in his joy, he went out and sold all he had. 
Business folks, this is not a cost-benefit analysis done on an Excel spreadsheet where you make a calculated risk-to-reward evaluation. This is no MBA-required calculation. This is a no-brainer. Sure, the field, the pearl, they cost everything the worker, the merchant had. Everything is sold, but this is not a sad sale. Jesus makes it clear that in the context of tremendous riches, they don't give a rip about selling everything because they are gaining far more. And don't make this mistake. It wasn't that they first sadly sold their stuff and then they were happy that they could buy the field or purchase the pearl. No, they were happy to sell. The joy came before the sale. They wanted to sell. They were elated to sell. It's principle number three. I've got to expect that spiritual treasure is going to create anticipation that just alters my future. Anticipation. It's this major part of the Christian life. Like, how do you have joy when you see your stuff being sold off? Because you know what's coming. Paul says, I've been beaten up. I've been stoned. I've lost my academic standing. But this is Romans 8, 18. I consider that what we suffer at this present time cannot be compared at all with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. He says, I consider. Look, what does it mean to consider Christ as your treasure so that you can face anything? So that you can live your life with this tremendous joy? Very few Christians live like this. And you look at them and you say, well, how do they do it? Well, it's a discipline. Nobody's born with this kind of faith. Paul says, I consider. He is carefully, purposely anticipating it, thinking about it. Let me show you what this kind of consideration looks like. There's a perfect example of it in Joshua chapter 7. Israel takes over Jericho. God tells the Israelites, hey, don't plunder Jericho. Put what you find in the temple treasury. Don't take anything for yourself. But one guy, his name was Achan. He broke that rule. This is Joshua 7, 21. Achan says, I saw a fine robe from Babylonia, five pounds of silver, a bar of gold weighing about a pound among the loot. And I wanted them so much that I took them. Right here is the model I want you to think about. Now, it's a negative model, but it does the job. Achan first says, I saw. Then he says, I wanted them so much. And then he says, I took them. I mean, how do you immediately see that this is a fine robe from Babylon? How do you know it's five pounds of silver and a pound of gold? What he's saying to us is that it took a while to fall into temptation. He sat there. He thought about it. He reflected on it. He hungered after it. And then after desire set into his heart, he risked everything to take it. That's what Paul does in a positive sense. It's what you and I can do. We notice the promises of God in the scripture. Then we think and we reflect on them, we desire them, and then we risk everything for what God promises and what he wants. You're doing it when you come to church. You come in anticipation. You come hoping to hear about God, to encounter him in worship, to find treasure. It's something you want. It's something you desire. It's something you need. I'm not spiritualizing here. I'm just being practical. You want spiritual treasure. You give up time. You come to a very ordinary place to hear an ordinary preacher, give an ordinary message, and somehow in your anticipation and joy, God shows up. And you hear from him. You say, well, that's not happening for me. Well, do you want it to happen? Let me tell you how to start. Just repent. Seek God's forgiveness for the main problem in your life. Let me tell you, your main problem, your big sin, it's not your behavior. It's not breaking this rule, that rule. If you're not finding spiritual treasure, your main problem is the lack of Jesus in your life. And you can repent of that. You can tell Jesus, I'm sorry for that. You can say to Jesus, I'm sorry. I am not thinking about you, desiring you, reflecting on you, risking everything for you. I am sorry. I am not living in the joy of finding treasure in you, Jesus. 
You see, it's repenting for your lack of love. It's going to change everything. Repenting for a lack of love, it starts love. You ever have a lover's quarrel and make up? Wow. You repent for not loving. And that, what? Begins the love. It breaks the ice. You want joy in your life? Anticipate what Jesus is going to do in you. He's got incredible things outlined for you. You remember the Lion King movie? Even though it's an animated film you know, about animals, I mean, this Disney flick, it really hits at the core of our humanity. What's the message of the Lion King? It's this. When the real king is in place, all of life is full of joy and harmony. When a false king is on that throne, all of life breaks down, disintegrates. But when the true king is on the throne, life just works. All the cycles work. All the circles work. God says you get that kind of harmony, that kind of joy, that kind of treasure when in the ordinary places of life, you discover God at work and you sell everything you have to join him and you anticipate the great things are going to happen when you make the trade. It's the pearl of great price. It's the treasure in the field and it's worth everything to get it. Do you have it? Would you pay the price to get it? Let me close by just asking you this question, church. If I had something that costs $500, would that be expensive? You say, well, I don't know. What is it you got? If I say, well, it's a toothpick, you'd say, well, yeah, 500 bucks for a toothpick, Harris. It's ridiculous. But if I said it's a brand new Porsche out in the parking lot, you'd say, oh, no, that ain't expensive. That, that's a crazy deal. If I said to you, well, I'll sell you that brand new Porsche for $500. Do you got any money? You'd say, well, not right now, but you hold on for a minute. I'll go sell some stuff and I'll be back in an hour to get it. Isn't that what you would do? In other words, is something expensive or not? Well, it depends on what it is. $1,000, $2,000, is that expensive? Depends on what it is. Following Jesus Christ, it's gonna cost you everything. But is it expensive? Not a bit. You really give up nothing when you give up everything. Why? Because when you get Jesus, you get the deal of a lifetime. That's what Jesus is saying to us through the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. And there's really only two possible responses. You and I can either say, well, it's time I trade everything for Jesus. Or we can say, eh, good story. Must be for somebody else. Hey, let's pray together. Would you join me? Thanks for listening to this teaching from The Point Church. For more information or to learn how to support this ministry, head to facebook.com slash thepointonline or check out our website at thepointchurch.net.